0: 1 Corinthians 12, we're looking at the first 11 verses. I'm going to reread those tonight to you, and then we'll finish out through verse 11. We've been here for three weeks, and we'll get this finished tonight. Now concerning spiritual gift, brethren, I would not have you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles, carried away, by these, carried away unto these dumb idols, even as you were led. Wherefore, I give you to understand that no man, speaking by the Spirit of God, calleth Jesus accursed, And that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same spirit. To another, the gifts of healing by the same spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, diverse kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. But all these work at that one and self-same spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. Let's pray. Lord, we're so glad to have time together with your church and your word tonight. We ask for your blessing upon this time. Help us to not waste it. Help us as your church to be edified through your word. Help us to be allowing the Holy Spirit to work in our lives, to illuminate the scriptures to us, that we might come to truth. Thank you that you renew our minds with your truth. And so we pray your blessing upon this time in Jesus' name, amen. So we started a few weeks back looking at Paul saying here, concerning these spiritual gifts or don't be ignorant about spiritual things. And he brought back their past and said, you had this tendency because before Christ came into your life you were you were serving dumb idols you were serving idols that could not speak and they could really do nothing for you but you were actually serving them then he says to them there's a variety of gifts given to the church and God gives these things to through the holy spirit to energize the church to do the work that he intends and then we started looking at what each of these things were as the holy spirit manifests these now there's two ways of thinking about spiritual gifting one is you were already kind of naturally inclined this way. God made you like this. And then when he saves you through the power of the Holy Spirit, you can more dynamically serve him in these ways. I think there is something to that in just normal Christian life, but that's not what Paul is talking about here. I want you to understand here what he's talking about in the public gatherings of the church, the Holy Spirit will manifest himself in such ways as the church needs, given where it is in church history, where it is in the world, et cetera. So And that's what he says there in verse number 11. So we, we understand these to be unique things. They're unique to the church in Corinth at this time. The church in Rome had a different list that, that he wrote about. The church in, uh, the, Peter wrote about a different list there. The church in Ephesus got a different list. So we, we understand these to be unique to this church, meaning, not meaning they could not be in any other church. Some of these carried over from church to church, But for you and I, I think a great takeaway from us here tonight is with us being filled with the Holy Spirit and submitted to God, we should expect him to provide us what we need in in whatever regard that might be. Now, we're a pretty blessed society and a very blessed nation. We have the freedom of religion. We carried our Bibles in here tonight. Nobody checked them when we came through the back door, nothing like that. What that has led to primarily in the American church is apathy. And so as we expect the Holy Spirit to do anything for us, it would be to revive us. To revive us into wanting truth and to wanting to worship God in regards to this truth and wanting to tell others through our worship about these truths. So let's continue as we define what are these gifts that we find here in the church in Corinth. Now remember, these are up against modern theological positions. One is that the gifts have ceased. One is that the gifts continued in full and that we should seek them and try to practice them. And then one would be the modified view, which is either some of the gifts have ceased and some continue, or maybe some functions of these gifts have ceased while the gifts themselves exist. So I'm trying to give you a modified view here. We worked our way up to tongues last week in verse number 10. So he begins with, to another the working of miracles. So we have the gifts from... uh, Verse number eight, the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge. That's the first two. Verse number nine, faith, healing, miracles. So that gets us the next three, that's five. And now we're up to prophecy. Sorry, I told you we'd gotten up to tongues, but we got up to prophecy. So to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues. So those are the ones we're going to cover here tonight. So prophecy is the gift of declaring a message of God to his people. The men who gave us the scriptures used this gift. This is how we believe we got the very words of God. And and we will say in like our church's statement of faith, we believe the word of God to be verbally inspired, plenary, meaning this is the full word of God, sufficient, inerrant, infallible, all of these things. But how do we get it? Well, God put it on men's minds. He breathed it out to them and then they prophesied, meaning they said God's words for God here on the earth. Now, often when you think of prophecy, that's not quite what you think about. You think of a prophet as one who tells what? The future, future. right? Now, is that true according to what I just said? Yeah, the prophets in the old covenant especially would tell things that are yet to be. And then how would you judge if they were a true prophet or not? Well, did the things they said come to be? And if they didn't, you killed them. If they did, then you consider this to be the word of God. Pretty cut and dry system. Some of you are wired like that. You wish we were still doing that today. If you felt like at the end of this sermon, I didn't give you the word of God, just kill me at the back door. Get a new preacher by next Sunday, right? The old covenant is old. It's over with. There's a new one now, okay? So when we get to the new covenant, was that the same measure for a prophet? Sort of. But what did you have to base it off of? He wasn't always just telling you these things are going to come to pass. Often he was telling you the things that the old covenant prophets said were going to come to pass have come to pass. And here's the inspiration to affirm this. So how did you judge whether this guy was a true prophet or not? Well, did the things he were telling you were part of this New Testament, this new covenant, line up with the old? See, this is the problem in anybody's thinking that the Old Testament is unimportant or unnecessary. We wouldn't know if the New Testament was God's word or not without the Old Testament. It requires both. So a new covenant prophet would tell some things future and you had to determine if he was a true prophet on whether or not they came to pass. But how do we do that with like Christ's revelation given to John? Lots of things there still yet to be. Why did we put that in the canon? Should we just leave it out? Did we just accept it in faith? Did we just say, well, we hope this is real? No, no it lined up with other scriptures. And then we considered it to be a a true prophecy from the Lord. So the prophet, the gift of prophecy was declaring a message of God to his people. Now I would say the portion that I just described for you of this gift has ceased. What's our proof for that? We have the Bible. It's complete. There's not a new one. We're not expecting more. Right, So when we talk about exercising the gift of prophecy, unless we say the whole thing has ceased, just kind of a safe way to go, right? But we wouldn't say, no, no, no. Not, not, not fully has the gift of prophecy ceased. But in giving us God's inspired word, that part has ceased. Now, what can still be prophecy? Well, it can still be those who are giving us the inspired word of God. How do we know if they're a true prophet or not? We just check it. If they say Ephesians 5, 2 says this, and that's what it says, Well, then we're good. They're a true prophet. Yes, sir, Brother Homer. And a big warning in Scripture not to add to it as uh, added in Scripture. Sure, absolutely. We should not do this. Uh, In chapter 14, if you want to put there real quickly, verse number three, Paul's going to define prophecy. But he that prophesieth speaketh unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. Now that probably works out well in your brain up against what Paul instructed (laughs) Timothy. Preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season. What was he to do? Reprove, rebuke, exhort. Same idea here. What is he talking about? Well, in, in this language, we would say he's talking about prophesying. Now we're careful with that, not to mean tell the future, not to mean give us a word from the Lord, except when we understand it to mean From the actual Bible, we expect a preacher to prophesy and then he gives us the scriptures. In fact, if he's not giving us the scriptures, he is not preaching. So what are we doing? We're just wasting our time. So the other thing we find here is in chapter 14, Paul elevates prophecy above all of the other gifts. We should be proclaiming the Bible then to others and we should have our focus on the Bible above everything else. Derek Prime gives another definition for prophecy. He says the ability to deliver inspired words which conveyed God's special message to the hearers. It was an especially important gift in the period before the New Testament letters and the four gospels were readily available to the church. God's message to his people is now given through the teaching and the preaching of his word, the Old and New Testament scriptures and those who exercise this ministry Are as dependent upon the Holy Spirit as were those with the prophetic gift. And this is what we would understand prophecy to be that has not ceased. So, could you go to the coffee shop in the morning and say to someone, I'm going to give you a word of prophecy? You absolutely could. But what better be the next thing that comes out of your mouth? Something from the word. It better be something from the word. If it's, I'm going to give you a word of prophecy and it doesn't line up with the scriptures, according to the old covenant, what can they do? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Now discernment. That's our next one. Prophecy. So he gave some the gifts of prophecy. He gave some the gift of discerning of spirits. This is primarily the ability to discern whether or not a particular teaching is from God. When was this a very important gift? Yeah, when we didn't have a completed canon. So Jeremiah is going to come to town and he's saying some craziness. Is this from God or is it not? And somebody has to affirm this. Somebody has to be able to discern this. Is this Satan or is this God? And then in the New Testament church, we know that Paul was constantly having to deal with a couple of things that really bugged him. One of those things was false teachers, false prophets, prophets. you can you can make a lot of cases on what his thorn in the flesh was. You can say it was a physical ailment. You can say it was um, spiritual warfare in that, uh, like a demon, this messenger from Satan sent to buffet him. I like the my personal love to that particular passage is the messenger of Satan was not so much a demon as it was a person being controlled by a demon to preach false gospels. think this is what Paul was having to fight with. I think it was what just distressed him. I think it was this thorn in the flesh. I think he just got so sick of people claiming to be giving a word from the Lord who were actually giving words from Satan. And then the church having to decide which is which. You imagine you're Paul and you haven't been there in a while and you show back up and they're doing some wackiness and you say to yourself, why are you doing this? He did this to Corinth, didn't he? He wrote to them and said, why are you doing these things? You shouldn't be doing these things. And they said, well, The apostle Arnold came by and he told us we should be doing these things. He said, Arnold, Arnold, who? Has he seen the resurrected Christ? Don't listen to him. So discernment. Is this from a true prophet or is this from a satanic deceiver? Now, in a sense, we should all be exercising the gift of discernment in today's world, not to determine what is the word and what is not in our Bibles, but to be determining what is the word and what is not As we live having our Bibles, I would say probably in the church, the people who who exercise the least discernment and and I'll put this kind of outside of scriptural things are generally the preachers, believe it or not. I always felt this way about myself and then I was reading a couple of preachers this afternoon and they said the same thing. That is not me saying to you, I'm the worst in here at telling you what's scriptural and what is not. What I'm saying is, is this discernment of people. Preachers typically have a mercy gifted, giftedness. They love, they care. You can stump on their hearts and they'll hug you anyways. I don't always hug you, but you know, sometimes. But they're, they're probably poor judges of character because they want to give everybody at least one good chance, right? And this seems to be the case. I read multiple guys today who said this is the thing. So that's why it's important in the gathering that there be others who are exercising the gift of discernment more so than the preacher. So this gets us away from this idea of, well, we just trust the preacher for everything. Well, we can't. That's not what Paul says here. He so there's a variety of gifts, same God. There's a, there's a variety of activities that come from these gifts, same Jesus, same spirit, variety of ministries. We all play a part. And he's gonna lay out here in just a moment, the human body. And he says, this is what we're to be like. Well, the preacher is not gonna be your best discerner. Now, hopefully he is of the word, right? But That goes back to the gift of being of prophecy, but he's not always gonna be the best discerner of people and some of us will play that role. MacArthur says, Christians with the gift of discernment have the God-given ability to recognize lying spirits and to identify deceptive and erroneous doctrine. Acts 17, reads, these were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. That's great, isn't it? They got in the word. They searched him daily, trying to decide if what was being said was truly from God. First John chapter four, verses one through five or so kind of lay out a case for this. Verse one says, beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. So we're to be exercising discernment in the church, trying these things. Is this of God or is this of Satan? So we have the gift of prophecy. We have the gift of discerning of spirits. Then he says in verse 10, to another, divers kinds of tongues and to another, the interpretation of tongues. I'm gonna give you these things separately, then I'm gonna give them to you together. So first, just tongues. What is the gift of tongues? This is the supernatural ability to speak a language that you've never studied There are some who would interpret, especially this passage, and they have to do this outside of Acts chapter number two, because for sure in Acts chapter number two, the gifts of tongues is language. It is there's no doubt language. You can you can make a case from Corinthians that, no, no, it's more than just a human language, because he goes on in verse chapter 13, verse number one to say, though I speak with the tongues of men and what? Angels. Angels. And some will say, we'll see this. He's talking about this angelic babbling. But, but what language do you always find angels speaking in the Bible? Human languages. You, you never see in the scriptures that an angel, the messenger from God, comes to someone and says, and the person says, I don't know what they said, but I'm going to do it. No, the angels come and they say, fear not, Mary. Fear not, Joseph. Clear as day. In the language that they know, now, does that mean that angels know every single language of humankind? Maybe. Or it may just be that the angels are speaking in tongues. That the angels in their whatever language heaven has, I don't know what it is. You ask a Jew, they'll tell you the language is what? Hebrew. Hebrew. <laughs> yeah, Maybe it is. It's a hard language. It's a backwards language. But the people here in their hearing. So Paul says here, though I speak with the tongue of men, and angels. The word he uses here when he says tongue is glossa, G-L-O-S-S-A. That's the Greek word there. This word does not mean heavenly babbling. It means language, dialect, speech. I don't want you to misunderstand me. I'm not denying the supernatural work of God through the Holy Spirit in languages. In fact, I'm affirming it. What I'm denying is that it was ever something That was individually edifying and that it was always something that was edifying to the gathering, to the group. This is exactly what he teaches here. Some translate this as other. They say this is some kind of babbling. It's something that those who are super spiritual can do and other people cannot do. I agree with that. I just disagree with what the end result is. Praise the Lord for those who are super spiritual enough that they are trying to take the gospel to some place where the gospel's never been preached. And they get there and they can't speak the language. And in faith, they preach the gospel anyway, hopeful that God will let these people hear. It's what he did at the day of Pentecost. And it's what he can continue to do should he need to. Now, should this be our method? Should this be our mode of practice? No, if you're going to go to a place that speaks Spanish and you don't speak Spanish, learn Spanish and go talk to them in Spanish. But should you get there and you find that well, there's one extra little tribe here and they don't speak the Spanish that I learned, will it by faith use the Spanish that you learned and the English that you know and maybe some nonverbal communication and try to share the gospel with them? Don't say, give me three years, I'll be back. This is the gift of tongues. Now you get more into tongues in chapter 14. But what we've got to understand here is why is Paul, up against everything I just said to you, pointing out to the Corinthians, when you gather for public worship, the Holy Spirit gives some of you the gift of tongues. That's fully what he says there. See, don't step past that point. Don't say, oh, well, I... I don't have to worry about this because it's not something that was actually going on in a context like ours. Well, it was. They were gathering for public worship, and he gave some the gift of knowledge. He gave some the gift of wisdom. He gave some the gift of healing, some the gift of faith, some the gift of miracles, some the gift of prophecy. And he gave some the gift of tongues. He gave others the gift of the interpretation of tongues. Now, we don't actually get this laid out for us here But I just want you to be clear that this was going on in their public worship gatherings to some end. Now, a a good guess would be so that someone who was there who didn't speak the language could understand what was going on. I think that's a a great guess. Charismatics would say, Pentecostals would say, holiness would say, well, it was a, a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit to the glory of God. Can you agree with that? I can agree with that. (laughs) Pretty supernatural if somebody was sitting in here tonight in an English-speaking church in an English-speaking nation, and they didn't speak English, and all of a sudden the Lord let you start whispering in their ear in English, and they heard in their language exactly what I was saying. I don't know. Paul doesn't elaborate, but for sure we know this was happening. So it's a language gift. The Another language gift was the gift of interpretation. So he gave some the gift of tongues, diverse kinds of tongues into another interpretation of tongues. William MacDonald defines this as the interpretation of tongues is the miraculous power to understand a language in which the person has never known before and to convey the message in the local language. So interpretation and tongues interpretation is still a language gift. Instead of the Holy Spirit allowing someone to speak in a language known to the hearers, or allowing the hearers to hear in his language, this gift was the ability to, to, to hear and translate. Now, it's not happening supernaturally, but you are getting to see it happen on a weekly basis here. Because Ms. Leanna stands right there. She hears me speak in American English. She conveys what I've said to Brother Jason, who can't hear me speak in American English in American Sign Language. Now, how many of us in here can do that? How many of you are trying to learn how to at least speak American Sign Language right now? Pretty hard, huh? I've learned a few things. What does that mean? Oh, come on. The bathroom. bathroom, yeah, that's right. What is this one? It's water. I know that because I went through the air. Oh, is it this? Well, Jason let me go. He was being nice to me. <laughs> yeah, that's off hook. The, the Lost Boys on Peter Pan did this. <laughs> to taunt the pirates. <laughs> and they said cock-a-doodle-doo all right so it's even hard to speak another language now can you imagine and sometimes i get going pretty fast up here having to hear what i'm saying and then trying to word for word say what i'm saying and doing it under the gift of prophecy right it's not like i have a script that i just write down and she could memorize the script and say it now i'm a pretty scripted preacher but sometimes i say a lot of stuff none of what i'm saying right now is in the script. So even then, she's got to hear it and be able to, to give it out. And it's a, it's a very unique thing. The gift of interpretation would have been even further than that. It would have been, you didn't know American Sign Language. And the Lord let you speak it for someone who needed to hear it. Pretty, pretty amazing gift. Y'all want to exercise of this gift? I know we're joking, but like, I, w- I would love to exercise this gift for my friend Jason's sake. It, w- it would be a wonderful thing. I, 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 here's my, I'll, I'll give you my conclusion, then I'll keep preaching my sermon. I believe the Holy Spirit gives the church gifts like this as it's needed. I think if Jason was an unsaved man and we didn't have someone to interpret, the Holy Spirit would probably give us the ability to give him the gospel in some form or fashion, supernaturally. I don't know what. Thankfully, he can read. So if nothing else, we just hand him a Bible and show him the scriptures. But praise the Lord for the Holy Spirit. So a language gift. Um, hear and be able to translate. Richard Pratt says, at least four characteristics, so we're going to combine them here, at least four characteristics of speaking in tongues and interpretation must be remembered. Number one, the speakers were not delirious. They were able to control how and when they spoke. Give me, some, give me a proof text for that. Hmm? Okay, God's not the author of confusion. Think about the Holy Spirit. Okay, decent and in order. The The fruit of the Spirit is, what's, what's one of them? Self-control. So I think this is the case here. If we're going to do something in this regard, we won't lack self-control because the Spirit also gives us self-control. So number two, both the speakers and at least some hearers were unable to understand what was said. Number three, the Holy Spirit enabled someone in the church to interpret and translate the tongues. And number four, Paul preferred that people in the church speak in languages that everyone in the church could understand. So we find those four principles in the scripture. So these are the gifts leading us to verse 11. Now I want you to think of verse 11 up against four, five, and six. So go back to four. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are diversities of ministrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. And he gives the gifts, and then he says in verse 11, but all these worketh that one and self same spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. The Holy Spirit carefully distributes these gifts according to the perfect understanding he has of the needs of the body of Christ. That's what Paul is saying here. The gifts were not mean, meant to be selected by individuals or personally solicited by individuals, but they were given by the spirit as he determined the need. Now, this is not me saying to you, we should neglect his gifting. Look at verse 31, but covet earnestly the best gifts. And he's going to show them a new thing, right? He's going to show them something else, love, but we shouldn't neglect his gifting, whether, An individual or a church possesses a particular gift It's not for you and I to decide. It's the spirit who sovereignly provides for the people of God, but a church should desire the gifts of the Holy Spirit. A church may pray for God to grant gifts to meet its needs, but such prayers must be offered in submission to his sovereign will and perfect wisdom. Should I die tonight and you guys are looking for a preacher, what Holy Spirit gift should you pray that he illuminates in our midst? Prophecy. Send us someone with the gift of prophecy to teach us the scriptures, right? We wouldn't think that one's so odd, but in all of these other ones, we do often kind of treat them as a little bit odd, though they're laid out for us clearly in the scriptures. The spirit, though, sovereignly assigns these gifts, so we must think of it in that way. There are often those who will say, well, I I want to have this gift, or I think it would be super helpful to the church if I was able to exercise that gift. It doesn't work this way. I'm not a preacher of the gospel because I decided it was just the best, best career path for me, or because I said, I really ain't good at anything else, so this is what I'm going to do here. No, I tried to do all of these other things. And, and while I was able to do several other things, and successfully, the Holy Spirit wouldn't leave me alone about doing this thing. We call that a divine calling, and God laid it on me to do it this way. I think in any gift that the Holy Spirit's going to give the church, He's going to give it through you, it'll come at you that same way. In fact, you might be a little hesitant to exercise the gift, and I would encourage you not to be. Be like Brother Lucky. Brother Lucky prophesies in our midst on a regular basis. What do I mean by that? He'll stand up and he'll yell some scripture at you. And I think that's all right. I'd rather us be that way than sitting here with our arms crossed, not doing anything led by the Holy Spirit. Yes, sir? He might have the gift of exhortation also. He, He certainly does. He absolutely does. I, I, I have a personal relationship with Lucky. We, we spend time together and he, he exhorts me. You're exactly right on that. Yep. So the spirit sovereignly assigns the gifts. Knowing that should eliminate pride. We, we won't exercise any gifts that we didn't receive. Knowing this should eliminate discontent. Infinite wisdom, infinite love decided. To gift this gift to the church. And his choices are perfect. Often we can struggle with doctrines like election, foreknowledge, predestination. The thing you have to keep in mind is you think, I don't know, if, if, how can God do those types of things? Well, you have to remind yourself, who better than God to do those kinds of things? And it's the same way here with the gifting just know that he is infinitely wise and that he infinitely loves the church and he has decided to allow this to be manifested in this gathering. So with that, I would conclude it's wrong for everybody to desire the same gift. If you ever find yourself in a Christian setting and they're saying, well, the way we know that you have the Holy Spirit in on is if you speak in tongues, that contradicts with verse 11. They're teaching you something that is not scriptural. Now, Paul says, I hope you'll covet the best gifts earnestly. And then he puts one gift ahead of all of them. And it's not tongues. What is it? It's prophesying. He says, I hope you'll give your, yourself to the scriptures and the sharing of the scriptures above everything else. But nevertheless, we find in verse 11 that we've got to give, exercise and act out the gift that the Holy Spirit has given to us. If everybody in a symphony played the same instrument, would anybody show up to hear the shows? (laughs) Wouldn't be a lot of fun. If your body only consisted of a tongue, what would we call you? A monster. (laughs) You'd say, oh, it's a monster. It might slobber on me. It's going to lick me. Derek Prime gives wisdom here. I know I've I've read him a lot here. I've never used Derek Prime much, but I've, I've enjoyed his commentary on Corinthians in these passages. I'm going to read you a lengthy quote. He says, The sovereignty of the Spirit and the distribution of the gifts should warn us not to be dogmatic about whether or not or the degree to which the gifts of the Spirit should be evident now in the church. Amen? Be careful being dogmatic here. Some believe that all the gifts should be exercised today. Others argue that they were especially necessary for the early church before the formation of the New Testament. Yet others suggest that church history demonstrates that it has not been God's will, that they should all be present at any one time. This verse indicates, verse 11, that the spirit cannot be dictated to either by an individual or the church. He may choose to give all or some of the gifts and whatever period and at whatever period in the history of the church he chooses. So. These all worketh that one and self spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. Have the gifts ceased? I would conclude no, based off a study of his passage, though the need of some of their functions has ceased. Should we desire the gifts? Well, I would say yes, but only if we need them. The word is sufficient until we need something outside of the word, then why would we desire more than the greatness of what God's already given us? We're indwelled by the Holy Spirit who guides us into all truth and living by the word, we can have fulfilled Christian lives. What should we desire? Verse one tells us what to desire. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you to be ignorant. If you desire anything after reading these 11 verses and studying them with me for three weeks, desire to never be ignorant about spiritual things. Well, where do I get the knowledge? From the word. Let's pray together. Lord, we're so thankful for time together in your word with your church.